right, folks. Well, thanks for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. If you don't know what Rec Poker is all about, we're a group of amateur recreational poker lovers who like to study the game together, learn together, beat each other up in our free play money home games, and just share our love of poker with the world. Uh, Most of what we do here is free. We're a largely volunteer organization. So uh, I got to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and Mark Prashan over at Website Amp. And of course, we couldn't do it without our premium members like John Kroll and our core team of Wrecking Crew members, the Wrecking Crew who puts in time every week, every month, uh, creating videos and having fun. Uh, We do some coaching. We do some demonstrations. We run seminars. We have strategy conversations. We do study groups. There's really no limit to what the Wrecking Crew can do for you. And if you want to find out more about me, uh, I'm Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game and at Jim on Twitter. You can go to rec.poker slash crew because that's where you can learn about everybody on the Wrecking Crew, including a few folks you're going to meet right now. Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Keith Brandt, and that's Monkey System everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 just about everywhere. And as I mentioned, we uh, we're, we record these forums editions after our chats interviews uh, every week. So we just got out of a chats edition, which was a lot of fun. Um, folks can join us there on YouTube every Monday at 7.30 Eastern. Um, but here for the forums editions, we I encourage our premium members to come and join us in the conversation. And so John Crow is here today. And uh, I hope that more premium members take a lead from John and come jump into this conversation, bring a hand they want to discuss and get some feedback from the wrecking crew right here on the air. Um, but today we're going to be looking at a hand that, well, a, a, a forum post in essence uh, from Chris Jones. Chris is our uh, membership content director. And every month, Chris uh, curates a theme of the month. We do a play along seminar Uh, A lot of our material is geared towards this theme that month, and uh, we're going to do one podcast episode each month based on the same subject. So this is August. The theme of the month is playing blind versus blind. And so that's the subject that we're going to talk a little bit about here, Chris. Uh, Thank you so much for putting all this amazing content together for our premium members. I'm glad we get to kind of tease some of this high level stuff uh, for our podcast listeners. I hope they come and join up. Yeah, no, my my pleasure. It's uh, and this was you know one where we uh, we kind of wanted a different topic. Uh, there was a lot of travel schedules, a lot of you know the WSP is going on. It was hard to get everyone in the same space, um, so uh, that's why we kind of pulled this one together as one that I felt like we could uh, do justice to without sort of some of the playing sessions and some of those things along. But normally, most of our months we have that, but this month we didn't. But I think we can still. This is a topic that's really rich and and very kind of. You know, it's it's theory heavy, but it doesn't have to be that hard either. No, and it doesn't come up that often, but every time it does, it feels weird. So yes. just having a bit of a grounding in the theory will help, I think. And I will tell you, like, <laughs> it is a very easy way to exit a tournament. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it doesn't come up that often. You're right. But it they can be deadly situations where yeah. you're just like, oh, no, you don't. I, I never, ever believe people in the blinds. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I just, I, they just never have it, but they always do. And so, but, but, but we're, we'll, so we'll talk about, we'll talk about that. All right. Well, lead us off your leader. I can't wait.
Yeah. Well, so I, I kind of wanted, there's, there's three things that um, uh, I touched on in the, the kind of the monthly uh, premiums seminar thing that then led into some examples and some deeper discussion. But uh, first of all, I want to talk because it's sort of in order of how this happens. So it all folds to us. We're in the small blind um, and we have a decision to make. We can fold, we can complete, or we can raise. And how in like I think one of the things to think about here is um how do we approach that decision and and where do we where do we go with uh this? And one of the things as I was reviewing this for the seminar that I think was really interesting to me is I looked at you know a lot of charts from like 10 big blinds to 100 big blinds and everywhere in between. And I would say that the amount that we fold from the small blind changes a little, but not that much. You know, we're always folding the bottom 15, maybe 20% of our range. So we're playing 80% of our hands. What changed... Oh, and Chris, this is just to be perfectly clear for our audience. This is only in circumstances where it's folded all the way around to the small blind. Correct. And the only person left in the hand is the small blind whose action it is and the big the big blind to their left. Uh, right. all, this is all to do with those spots. So this is a lot like if you've studied any kind of heads up uh, style play, there's some differences, obviously, because when you're the small blind there, you're going to have position. But but. Um, there are there there's a lot of similarities in that we're going to play a lot of our hands. So you're going to be in situations that are very unusual and uncomfortable to you. You're not used to being in a hand with Jack three, you know, has the person who opened and like, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate that. Right. So there's, it's puts you in these very, challenging situations that that uh, are hard to figure out but but one of the things i think to point out is regardless of stack size we kind of we kind of fold that bottom 15 to 20% and we're doing something with that top 80% of hands which is a lot of hands but what changes is how much we complete and the this is this is a really good the deeper we are the more often we limp or complete. So if we're a hundred big blinds deep, we are completing a lot more than if we are 20 big blinds deep. Now at 20 big blinds deep, we're going to have some, um, some completes, some opens and some shoves. Um, and we're not going to have that at a hundred. So, so that is one thing to, in terms of opening from the small blind to just be aware of. And it's a good thing to look at, but just as a rule of thumb, that is kind of how to understand sort of what do I do with this even in the first place in the small blind. And that might be counterintuitive to some of our listeners because you think when you're deeper, um, you've got more behind, you can raise the pot, you can raise more often, get more folds from the big blind. And if they call, well, you've got a lot of chips behind. But the fact that you're going to be playing out of position exclusively uh, is an argument not for bloating the pot. And against certain players, it also takes away their ability to kind of put you in jail with some bigger three bets. If you're and and when Chris says completing, that's just, that's just limping. Limping and completing are the same thing. You're putting in the other half of the big blind. And when he talks about opening, that just means an open raise or shoving. Obviously, I think everyone knows what that is. You're not going to be shoving many small blinds at a hundred 
stat at 100 big blinds deep, but at 20, uh, you probably are. And at 100, we're going to be completing and calling a lot. So when our opponent raises our completion, uh, it doesn't mean that we're going to be playing fewer hands uh, at 100 big blinds deep. It just means our approach to how we get to a flop is going to be different. Um, So I don't know. Does that and then. Should it, any other thoughts on on playing the small? I was going to then jump into some to some big blind stuff, but just just the sizing of the open, I think, is something that's mm. interesting here because this is one of those spots where, again, you you're guaranteed to be out of position, and when you do choose to open raise instead of limping, typically we're going to see players opening to a larger sizing than yeah. they would from the button. And I know, again, I just said you don't want to play bigger pods out of position, but you're going to choose a strong. A range of hands or at least a balanced strong range of hands that can play bigger pots from out of position and you are tr- what you're doing with the larger sizing is you're just eliminating your the big blinds ability to just make a real easy call play a hand in position with a ton of their range yeah. um, so we want to give them a tougher decision than that and make them define their range a little more in those in those moments where we are open raising. Chris, is there, is there like a certain size or something that you look for in particular? Or how do you decide the size to open to there? Mine is also very stack dependent. So when mm-hmm. I'm, when I'm a hundred big blinds deep and this actually is a little bit, I don't know. I see some players do this. I might be on the outside of the the fringe of what, you know, like the wizards might do, but I will raise to four Yep. Um, big blinds when I'm really deep and then um come down and then when we get down to like uh to 20 big blinds if i'm not shoving now i'm doing like 2.5 so somewhere between 2.5 and 4 um is where where i'm doing but generally in general it's usually around three and a half that that's the same for me and i always think about what would be my open size on the button okay, now add a big blind or add three quarters of a big, big blind or ha- add half a big blind or something like that. And that's the way I think about it too. Rob, is that how you look at it? Yeah, that's exactly how I look at it. Um, if you look at a lot of GTO charts, they talk about two and a half at a hundred big blinds is totally fine. The difference between two and a half and three is minimal. So a lot of people go to three, but I usually go to two and a half. And if I'm in the small blind, I go to three and a half. Yeah. And that'll be my open from the, I'll just add a big blind uh, if I'm opening from the small blind. Yeah. I'm always opening a little, just one big blind larger than whatever my normal bet size is when I'm in position. That's mm-hmm. a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Keith, what about you? Is that? Uh... Yeah. With the uh, small blind complete, uh, I think a factor that affects our range is going to be uh, the ratio of the small blind to the big blind, like in a one, three game. Oh, uh, you're not getting as great of a price as in a one, two game. And in a, say two, like at a tournament where it's a 2000, 3000, oh, yeah. 3000, you're getting an awesome price. You you gotta, you gotta pretty much go in there with everything. You know, if you get a small blind complete. Great point. Yeah. The, the new big blind ante has introduced these structure. It used to be that it was just always, you know, double, right. You, you, you just, and they just find the chips to make that happen with antes and whatever, with the big blind ante, you're seeing these levels like 1,000, 1,500 and yeah, the, like 2,000, 3,000 and those kinds where, um, where we're, and we want to be aware of those because sometimes they're also the opposite. They're like 1,000, 3,000. Right. And so 
in the in the case where it's you know not that much to complete we're highly incentivized to play and when it's a bigger uh we're highly disincentivized to fold more or where we are incentivized to fold more it's a great point one other interesting thing about the small blind and different stack sizes when you look at the gto charts there is not one hand in that chart that is 100% raise mm-hmm. you know as well at least at the higher you know higher uh, stack sizes i think there is 100% rages when you get down to like 15 20 big blinds yep. but when you're at that 40 to 60 to 100 big blinds there's not one hand that's 100% raise mm-hmm. they're all that's all a frequency thing of between raises raising and calling yep interesting yep a lot of mixed then, strategy in that and that's one there. of the things we do i do talk about in the in the the seminar video is a little bit of like how to approach that strategy so you're not just going to drive like how am i ever going to remember that you know queen jack <laughs> off suit i'm supposed to do this 63 percent of the time i'm supposed <laughs> to raise it and you know like how how the, how what am i going to do with that and i think there are ways we can sort of you know still try to 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 mix up our game a little but um come up with some approaches that 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 make it a little bit easier for a human being to do when they're actually playing and, and in the games that we're playing our opponents are not going to be paying enough attention to know that we've decided that we're raising 75 but we're limping 74 100 percent right. of the time instead of doing them both at a mixed frequency right. so exactly. we can just make our lives easier and do it yeah yep. and on top of that the amount of times that it's small blind versus big blind mm. is very, very small in comparison to the number of hands you play. Yep. Because somebody is always, is usually getting involved uh, that's in position. The, the only thing that we want to, like, as we're thinking about this, is then what we don't want to say is, well, it's, it's giving me permission to raise everything. Because we want to be able to have in our completion range some, like, very strong pairs, some very strong hands so that, um, when we get raised, we have a course of action that includes some very strong holdings. Yeah. And of course, and Chris is, we're, we're not making it easy for Chris. Chris is going to be talking about sort of in a vacuum. This is how we might uh, take some of these ranges. If you've got a very aggressive player to your left who loves to raise over limpers and he's in the big blind, you might start limping more strong hands because yep. you want to be able to re-raise or call in a position that kind of forces him to get bluffy post or something like that. But we're, that's not really what we're talking about now. We're talking about having a, a grounded, balanced uh, approach that is unexploitable itself. And then we can deviate from that to suit different opponents as we find out yep. more about them. All right. So let's talk about the big blind, right? Some Something happens and we're in the big blind. And this is where I think even more than I think uh, the, the mistakes I see uh, sort of more recreational players make in these situations is number one, they're folding the small blind too much when it gets to this spot, when it's blind versus blind, they're not playing 80 to 85% of their hands. They're just, they're just not, they're playing maybe 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're just folding too much. But the other mistake I see uh, people making is from the big blind. I don't think people are taking, they're just barely raising anything, but they're very, very best hands. So, and and we really want to come up with a strategy, especially against, because uh, com- like it's so easy to say, well, I've got I've got ten six, or I've got you know seven eight, or let's just see a flop, you know, like. But I think we're doing ourselves a disservice 
if we don't come up with a strategy for approaching these spots. And I don't see people raise enough from the big blind in these situations. And one of the things I think we want to do is have some of those best hands in our holdings. And this gets uncomfortable for a lot of players until you do it a few times. But you want to have some absolute trash in your raising mm-hmm. range. You want to take your your two five offsuit uh, along with your pocket kings and raise those. Um, and you're going to feel really uncomfortable when you do it. But I'll tell you, it feels really good when somebody folds to your two five offsuit after you've raised. It feels really really good. It, feel, it feels with this it raise. Feels, are you with this raise? Are you talking about a three bet or just raising over the small blind complete? Mostly above the complete. I mean, I yeah. think with two five yep. offsuit against a yep. raise, I'm uh, folding. Yes, good um, clarification. Yep. But but against a complete, we want to have um, more raise. It's so I think it's so easy to take your those kind of hands and just say, well, maybe I'll hit five deuce. You know, wouldn't that be exciting? But I think you can actually, uh, if you think about a player's sort of limp or completing range from the small blind, there's going to be a lot of weak stuff in there but it'd probably be stronger than your five deuce. Uh, and we can get a lot of that to fold. And that's such a valuable, we, t- we talked about it last week, getting players to fold a better hand than yours is a crucial part of your uh, profit as a poker player. So using hands like very weak hands, like five, two in these, in the, in the right spot is uh, is a great way to add to your ROI. And so just to be perfectly clear. So Chris is talking about spots where the small blind has chosen to limp and now we're just adding some more combos to our raising range. And uh, it sounds like we should be doing that not only with some more thinner value hands, but also with some absolute garbage just to make them more likely to, to make a mistake, which is what we're, what we're all about here. Yep. Yep. Looking at a, at a range that they published in Modern Poker Theory, which is a big blind versus a small blind limp at 60 big blinds. Um, they're supposed to raise 43 per... 43.8%. Wow. Wow. Of their range. Wow. And there's there's like 10 hands in total that they never raise. Yep. And that's pocket twos, uh, some suited jacks, a couple of ace four, ace six type hands. Everything else, there's a frequency of raising and calling of almost every other hand in the I mean, every hand has something. Mm. It's it's like a hundred percent of your of of wow. the cart of range available is played. From the big blind after the small blind limps. And I would be stunned if most of our listening audience was even at half of that raising range. Because it's just, it is really, it's like, you know, I think a lot of players, myself included, like the, let's see a flop. Let's see what happens. I don't have much of a hand here. But um, it's, it's really doing yourself a disservice if you're if you're kind of like falling yeah i think what you're what you're falling back into is that first comfort level when you first started playing poker of like calling too much of you know where you're you just kind of want to see a flop and hit something and then go with it right you want that sort of security blanket of knowing how your hand's going to play and we can do more from the big blind by raising more um especially against the completes Something that you don't think about too from the big blind, because you're so used to calling or yeah, calling a small raise from someone in position when you're in the big blind. So you kind of lose track of the fact that, Hey, you're going to be in position in this entire yeah. hand now. 
So you are effectively the button now. Yep. Yep. You're, you're not the big blind anymore. You are the button. So you are in position. So you have a lot more leeway and a lot more equity realization. It's a great it's point. It's a great point. It's a great point. Plus, plus, we're not facing an open raise, even. We're facing a limp uh from the small blind. So it's a range that should have a lot of weakness in it. And um, that's even more attractive to raise ourselves with that polarized range there. Keith, did you have something? Yeah, I, I've got a cash game thought here. So a lot of players like to get into an agreement with uh, the player to their left and to, to right to chop if it folds yep. to the small blind. Yep. What do you guys think about that? In a cash game, I love it because yep. there's no rake rake involved. You're taking the rake right out of it, and that's yep. general. Why why get involved in something when it's just the two of you, and you're going to end up paying paying rake to the house? Yeah, we're talking when I'm talking about all this stuff. I'm really talking about tournaments. Uh, I think in cash games, if you can get away with that, if they'll allow chops, uh, I I would always advocate for it because of the rake. John, what's your take on that? I I. I have a different view on it and it's partly because i like to go to the casino when there are high hands mm-hmm. um, and not because i'm playing for a high hand but i think high hands attract soft softer players yep um, yep and so therefore i just have a rule and i even tell players ahead of time that i simply don't chop i'm going to be consistent and and whether i have aces or whether i have three two off or whatever i play the hand Mm-hmm. But, and but most people like the fact that you're consistent about it. Yeah, that's like from an etiquette point of view. Um, that's a really interesting subject. And and what John's getting at with the high hand here is some some casinos will have promotions where if you can make like a straight flush, for instance, you might qualify for a, a high hand bonus. And so some players that are they might sort of collude against the casino to sort of say, well, why don't we just check this baby down? And just choose not to put any more chips in the pot, but get to showdown um, with a hand that might qualify for the high hand bonus. So that's definitely a tactic. And um, I think as long as, and and there's no right or wrong way to do this either. I think there is like this etiquette that you should kind of do the same thing every time. But I know some players that just look down and if it's, if it's a good hand that they want to raise with, they raise. And if it's a hand that they want to hit the high hand with, they call. And if, if they if it's not, they'll just say, "Hey, you want to chop?" <laughs> <laughs> and no, that, I don't, because I know what kind of hand you have now. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. And so, you know, if you're going to be that player who lets the strength of their hand determine their action, then I think people are going to pick up on that pretty quickly. Um, the other nice yeah, thing if, about if, if you yeah. ask for a chop, you're probably not putting any more chips in the middle anyway. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, The other nice thing about chopping is that it does just speed the game along. So it's nice for you because you're not paying any rake, but it's also nice for everybody else in the hand because you just get to move on to uh, the next hand a little faster, which which is nice as well. But it's a really it's a really good point. And that's a good one to to study there as well. And if if the last thing I kind of wanted to chat about. Uh, in terms of blind versus blind uh, for for this episode, and and one that sort of launches a, a really long piece that I I had in the um, the seminar thing was um, post flop, and really thinking about range advantage. Um, I think that uh, we're used to as poker players thinking about who has the advantage here, and we can look at a certain flop, we can look at a certain board texture, we can look at 
who had the opening and who called or if it's, you know, three bet. And some of the same principles apply in um, blind versus blind situation, but you're going to be in situations where somebody has like completed and the big blind just checks behind or you're, you're and and who has the range advantage then? And and ultimately it's the small blind, right? Even though mm. we've got the big blind that's in position, uh, when we have a, a a complete and a and a check behind, um, that should really favor the small blind, and they should be able to then approach that because some like we talked about is that some of their completing range should still contain some of those really strong holdings. You should have sometimes aces and kings and some of those kinds of hands in your completing range, whereas the big blind really shouldn't. Um, so that some of those kinds of things are going to play out when, when the small blind opens or raises and the big blind calls again, the small blind should have the advantage. And the, the only time that the, and this seems sort of obvious, but I think players don't think about this in this situation as much. The situation where the big blind has the advantage is when they have put in that aggressive action, whether you've either raised the, the complete and had it been called by the small blind or when the small blind has opened and the big blind has raised them and then been called by the small blind. Now the big blind not only has position, but they also have the range advantage, which is why I think a lot of these books like Modern Poker Theory are are advocating for us to raise more from the big blind mm. because it gives us not only position, which you already had for the entire hand, now we have the advantage in the hand. Yep. And I like the point that even if the small blind limps and the big blind just checks behind, the small blind, they've eliminated the bottom 20% of their range by continuing in the hand, and they still have the top 10%. Whereas the big blind, A, they haven't had a chance to fold yet, so they still have the bottom 20% of their range, and they had a chance to raise and didn't. So you can kind of eliminate the top part of their range as well. So, I mean, just intuitively, I can see how that really does. I mean, I want to just go play a bunch of hands from the small blind now and sort of realize my advantage by doing so. And it's not, it's not like other limped pots, right? Right. So that's something to just really remember. I mean, some people will limp with aces from, you know, under the gun or whatever. So in some ways it is, we have to be cognizant of that. But we can have a very strong range when we limp from the small blind. And you're right, we're we're cutting off the bottom of a range. So um we we maintain that advantage and it allows us to um especially on certain runouts and boards, it allows us to uh push that towards um realizing our equity. I guess we have to unfortunately it means we have to play poker post flop a lot more often. Yes, which yeah. is which is hard. Playing mm-hmm. poker post-flop is poker hard. Poker is hard. It's a challenge for all of us. Um, and I know for me, sometimes in the small blind, that really makes me want to just open raise so that I can just win their one big blind and get out of this position and move on because I'm going to get the button next. And I love mm-hmm. having the button. Um, but I think already this is just, it's it, the upside is is nice, but there's I think I can see how you're really costing yourself chips in the long run by, with that attitude. And yeah, actually... Uh, Oh, one ahead, thing, funky. one thing for the uh, small blind player to remember: if he completes and then the uh, big blind checks his option, that checked option is the most capped range. Yeah, in Texas Hold'em, yeah. you can really just pounce on it. Yep, yeah, that's a great point. Yep. 
Uh, and it's particularly on certain runouts, right? Like when you get like an ace king four flop or something, it's just like, I mean, this is mine. Just fold, just fold because this is mine. No matter what I'm holding, I'm not going to let you win this hand. Um, but uh, the other thing I was going to, I hadn't even thought about talking about this tonight, but I think the one other thing when we're talking about blind versus blind that I think comes up a lot is when we get short stacked and um, we see a lot of players from the small blind start shoving and I think part of the question is, when do we do that? When do we shove from the small blind? When, let's say we've got, you know, 15 to 20 big blinds and we see a lot of small blinds and we're 15 to 20, like, effective and we see a lot of them shove. And then what do we do from the big blind? Do we call with a looser range than we would, you know, in other sort of all-in situations? Um, and the answer is both of these are tend to be looser Hmm. uh the small blind will shove with a wider range and the big blind can call with a wide like if the big if if like the hijack shoves and it folds to the big blind they're gonna have to call with a much tighter and better range than they will versus the small blind yep and that just makes sense intuitively the small blind has to get through fewer players so they can shove a wider range of hands. They can shove more hands. And because they're shoving wider, the big blind playing in a vacuum, again, should be calling down lighter because their equity on those cusp hands improves against the weaker range and turns them into a call. So that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one question I've got. Um, so we've talked about how a lot of this stuff is at a mixed strategy. Let's say we're in the big blind. What are some of the hands or what are some of the qualities of hands that would make us choose not to raise with them? So we're raising with our absolutely worst hands, the five, two offsuit, and we're raising with our best hands, like the big pairs and ace king and that kind of stuff. Um, Is it, is those, those middle ground hands, what do they have in common where we're deciding to play them in position instead? Are they like mid pocket pairs? Are they suited connectors? What is it? What do they have in common that, that, makes them less less viable raising candidates nothing <laughs> nothing <'Cause it's, laughs> well because it's, it's just spread out over the whole range yeah yeah because yeah, it's yeah. everything i mean you're gonna it based on the charts that you look at basically most of your suited aces are raises all of your suited broadways your all of your pocket pairs down to eights and sevens they're pretty much all raises but then there's a smattering of all the other hands. I mean, this is the whole chart has some frequency of raise for almost every single hand. Hmm. One thing I would say is common is um, suitedness. If we're not talking about like the best suited hands or the like suited connector type hands, the other ones that have sort of a uh, like that are suited, so like your ten five suited, your yep. your seven four suited, your those kinds of hands, they may have some raises in them, but they're going to be more often ones that we're going to just decide to sort of let's just see three and go with and go from there. Yep. Um, yep. So that that's because the because the 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 trashy offsuit ones are the ones we're going to raise the the stronger suited ones are we're going to raise more often and the 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 kind of like middling suited we're never folding ever right um and they're they're the kinds that we can can uh just 
call or comp- or just check behind um, more often with. So you might uh, just to to make it crystal clear. So you might check behind. So the small blind completes, they limp. You're in the big blind. You've got ten three offsuit. Or sorry, you've got ten three suited. So that might be one that's like good enough to see a flop with yeah. um, that you don't have to bluff with it, but not so good that you're raising for value. Whereas a hand like six five suited, you would raise um, more and often. Yes, more yeah, more yes. often. Right, right, right. Good point. Um, even well, here's though it's the thing: lower showdown value. Yeah, using using ten three as an example. Ten three, you're going to ten three offsuit. You're going to raise fifty percent of the time, or right. call fifty percent of the time. And ten three suited, you're going to call maybe twenty percent of the time, and or I mean, sorry, raise twenty percent of the time and call eighty percent of the time. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, so you're calling a lot more with those suited hands than you are the offsuit hands. Yeah. Yep. yep. That makes a lot of sense, and I guess for some of those hands in particular. Um, yeah, that's interesting because you're going to have fewer ways to improve even if you do uh, post-flop. Right. This is very, you, you, very interesting. You really like to get with the 10-3 offsuit. That's why you're raising with it. You're really, really hoping for a fold. Right. And with the 10-3 suited, you know, let's play. And yeah, maybe I can, maybe I can win a really big one here. Yeah, we, we yeah you, don't, you don't really know if you want to fold or not yet. Yeah, um, right. That's interesting. Okay, very cool. Well, so this is going to be available. Um, this is the uh, the the, sem- the deep dive seminar for the month of August. And if folks are listening to this when it comes out, you've still got time to join us on the fourth Wednesday of the month at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. Chris will be hosting his monthly Q&A on the theme of the month. So that'll be a chance to come and pick his brain. We're going to be um, all the learning with partners videos this month are going to be are going to be related to blind versus blind. Somehow, um, the focus, a lot of our other learning material, will be based around this subject, blind versus blind. So come join us on the fourth Wednesday of the month and uh, share your hands and ask Chris questions, and we'll all learn a little more about this as we go. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I'm so impressed with the every month we bring some amazing uh, knowledge to our members. This was like a, this was a really this is a really important month, I think, because like we said, it doesn't come up often, but when it does, you don't want it to be the first time you're thinking about it. So, uh, yeah, my, I'll just tell you, like, I've studied this a lot lately because I've, um, but in part because uh, I looked at my, I did a report where I looked at just my blind versus blind play. Yep. Woo. <laughs> it was not good. Okay. It was not good. So, um <laughs> yep this can be an area where we can at least i could get a lot better at well and if and if folks are using poker tracker 4 you can um, customize your tags that you use for individual hands that you're reviewing later i've got one built for blind versus blind uh play and the icon is a beer mug um, because (laughs) it's uh, it can get a little crazy so yeah i'm with you i'm with you there all right. Well, um, thank you very much to Chris Jones, uh, Keith Brandt, Rob Washam, and John Crowell, uh, John Crowell for joining us here in the chat tonight. And of course, uh, website AMP and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. And you, the listener, thank you so much for making it possible. 